This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers, musicians, thinkers defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artists. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And of course, you can reach us uh, on our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. Do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? Hi guys, welcome to episode 112 of our podcast, The Artist with me, Suchita. Creativity cannot be separated from commerce. An artist is as much of an entrepreneur constantly building his or her enterprise. What are those skills needed to develop your enterprise? What are your values? What are your short and long-term goals? Our guest for this episode is Mr. Argopala Krishnan, who has served as chairman at Unilever and director at Tata Sons. He's authored 17 books about the founders of Marico, HDFC Bank, Biocon, Kotak Bank and more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hi Gopal sir, welcome to our podcast, The Artists, and uh, thank you for joining in. And uh, I just want to start off with this skepticism of yours when you mentioned that what will you do in an artist podcast? You know, <laughs> it's meant for arts and culture and cinema. You've been uh, the director at Unilever, you've been the chairman there, you've been with Tata Sons, so you were like, what will somebody like me do in an artist space? And I was like, sir, artists cannot survive without understanding the commerce side of things. So thank you for uh, for being on the podcast and taking our time. Well, thank you, Suchita. Happy to be on your podcast. Actually, although I had initially mm. expressed skepticism, I have yeah. long advocated, and it's the first time yeah. I'm getting a chance to articulate, that management and enterprise are arts, yes. they are not sciences. Wonderful. Sciences work on the basis of cause and effect. Arts work on the basis of judgment and emotion. So uh, management and business is very much like dance and music and sports rather than physics mm. and mathematics. So I'm happy to be on your podcast. Gopal sir, I was reading your articles and uh, you mentioned about the founder of Alibaba, about how he has been emphasizing that education should develop wise people instead of bright and intelligent people because they can be replaced by AI and machines. And you also have spoken a lot about creating the company culture. So when you talk about creating a company culture, which is important for any entrepreneur, equally important for the artists, what are the couple of things that the founder can pay attention to, like what 
the founder of Alibaba has been talking about. You know, Suchita, this is like answering a question to, since you talked of a startup to a seven or 10 year old about how mm. to develop values in life. Whatever you say sounds pontificating and uh, yeah. you know up in the air. But since you asked the question, let me answer it. Sure. Just like the character and the values of our children mm. are set in the early years, mm. not after they are 25. Sure. Founders must also remember that their venture is also their baby. And they must mm. set the uh, values right at the beginning, despite mm. the fact they don't have any time. And mm. I like to use the metaphor of a typical mother. Mm has to change the nappies and got the baby stop the baby crying mm. and yet she doesn't stop thinking the long term about whether her baby will become a professor or a, <laughs> a manager or whatever so there are yeah. two circuits in your brain and mm. what startup founders do is they get so obsessed with the transactional mm. uh, circuit which is important by the way i'm not i'm not uh, deriding it but they forget to say that the second, the strategic circuit also needs to be activated. Mm. Yeah. The strategic circuit recognizes wisdom. Mm. The transactional circuit recognizes knowledge. Mm. And knowledge plus intuition is equal to wisdom. Wow. Mm. When you use your knowledge, you get experience. Out of the experience, mm. you develop an intuition. Hmm. And when you combine that intuition with your knowledge, you get wisdom. Yeah. And this, many startups say, we think of that later. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I sympathize with them because they say, you hmm. know, you, you don't know what it's like to have a startup. Hmm. But I say, you don't know what it's like to be a grown-up, you know. <laughs> this is like a typical conversation between a 7-10 year old with a grandfather. <laughs> and yeah. I think People think that with the age of AI and knowledge and data and analytics, mm. the need for intuition is more or less gone. Mm. But actually, it's getting even more important because yes. what, is, what is knowledge? It is the mind. As the Vedanta says, it's the mind. Yes. It's the left brain. It is data. It is logic. Extremely yes. important. No question. But intuition is the intellect as distinct from the mind. It is the right brain. It is experience yeah. and it is context. So you need both. And I think yeah. the best, uh, most inspiring example for me is when I see my daughters raising their children. Yeah. Mothers are able to do this naturally. Lovely. Yeah. So intuition and knowledge, both of them are equally important. That forms the wisdom, which is where you can apply in your startups and in the company and create the kind of culture that you want. But that will also solely depend on the kind of values that you have yourself uh, as a founder, uh, as somebody yeah. who's building the company. It is so difficult for people to even know what, what does the word value mean. Do you think that we even understand what values mean, ethics mean? I think, uh, uh, you know, the startup is a chaotic yeah. experience. All forms of creation. Yeah. are chaotic. So a startup is no different. Raising a baby is also chaotic. Yeah. Uh, the important thing is this, that when you look around and see that parents, not mothers only, parents who have not raised their children and given enough time and attention and thought yeah. and then have other complications when the child has grown up. Yeah. Uh, 
if you regard your startup as your baby, which I think no founder has a problem doing, mm. then think of whether you're giving the baby the time it requires or are you spending all your time just changing nappies and not thinking about saving for the child, school, college, whatever, you know. Mm. And I think uh, there is a dialogue and a set of actions that uh, have to be taken by the founders who must have the maternal instinct that this yeah. child must live long. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know if it is true, but nowadays I hear startups who want to have a quick IPO and bailout and collect <laughs> their cash and buy a house in Koramangala or Gurgaon uh, <laughs> and then become angel investors after that. That's not... You know, this is like surrogate mothers, you know. If you mm. want to be a surrogate mother, there are surrogate mothers and who am I to judge their importance? Mm. They are playing a social role. Hmm. But uh, I would advise, since you ask founders, not to be surrogate mothers, but to be maternal, biological mothers. Hmm. Sure. You have spoken at length in one of your pieces, one of the articles about transparency. And transparency is such a strong word. When you talk about culture, that is focusing on transparency. How much do you think that in India or even internationally, people even understand the word transparency and do they even follow it? Are we even consciously trying to create an ecosystem or a company culture that's transparent? You know, transparency is like passing your matriculation exam and coming into college. You know, you say a child becomes an adult at 18. There's nothing magical that happens biologically at 18, you know? Mm -hmm. So you need a marker which Mm. takes you away from one zone into the next zone. Mm. And for me, a company reaches adulthood. Mm. That means passed through infancy, childhood and adolescence. Mm. When it's ready to do an IPO. Mm-hmm. And every company doesn't get to the IPO stage, just like every physical child doesn't get to be an adult. Mm. And the concept of transparency becomes very important mm. at the time of the IPO. We understand Mm. exactly what's transparency. There are laws, regulations, Mm. and Mm. behavioral characteristics that we expect of a public company. But just like you don't treat a 10-year-old and pass judgment if they are not like uh, behaving like a heavy-voiced, growly adult, in the same (laughs) way, you don't treat a a startup. uh, But you have to build those characteristics of transparency early on. You know, your accounts may be a bit here and there when you're uh, 10 years old. Mm. <laughs> by the time you're 18 and getting to an IPO, doing your matriculation exam, to use the metaphor, mm. you you must need transparency. And I think we understand exactly what transparency is. Now, you look at all these IPOs that have happened in recent months. Yeah. I mean, all of them said they're ready for an IPO. Mm. And it's one disaster after another. People who've invested 100 rupees are now worth 40 rupees or 30 rupees or sometimes even 20. Hmm. And that's like a mother putting out four children. <laughs> if I look at the IPO market as hmm. a mother, hmm. four children, each of them who's wavered. One is a drunkard, hmm. one is a rapist, one is a something else. It's just <laughs> not right. <laughs> yeah. It but... may sound a bit old-fashioned to some startup hmm. people, but I think it's the reality. That's what transparency means. Why aren't companies and people uh, putting something like a word transparency as a as 
a great asset as a value at the forefront of creating and building their company. Why don't people do that? You see, transparency has a cost. Hmm. And any startup founder will tell you that his or her mind is swirling with too many things to do. Hmm. There's cost of people, there's cost of office space, there's fundraising, hmm. there is developing technology. You don't want one more cost, cost of transparency. <laughs> hmm. So, you know, if you go to the IB school education rather than hmm. the ICSE education, they don't have any hmm. exams till your 10th class or 8th class or something like that. Hmm. Hmm. And the founders are doing IB. They are not doing ICSE. In ICSE, you'll have exams every year. Hmm. And of course, there are mothers who complain that we've got learning by rote and too many exams. But uh, in the IB, you try to develop the, in the whole individual. Both have their merits, but apply, coming back to startups, at the hmm. end of the day, you raise a startup to be ready for an IPO. Hmm. And the value of transparency, openness and discussion and bearing that cost has to become a part of the habit. Just like you tell a child who's 10 years old, Mm. Better you must complete your homework mm. and you must have uh, your uh, papers in order in the morning and your shoes polished and get ready to go to school at 7 a.m. Mm. It's, t- it's tough. The kid would like to sleep till 9. Yeah. But you don't do that. That's what transparency is equivalent of. It's a cost. Mm. Lovely. So you have to bear the cost of transparency, uh, which the system does not bear for you. Of course, uh, the individual has to bear it. Right. Tell me, Gopal, sir, you mentioned this very important point, talking about competency weights, humanity and humility, uh, which is an important point. Do we even understand humanity and humility when it comes to uh, cutthroat competitive world that we live in, in all the ecosystems and the industries? Yeah, you see, we, a founder, since we are talking about startups, yeah. has this impression that his or her position is very unique. Hmm. That that particular industry in which they are is extremely competitive. Yeah. That that particular uh, uh, domain in which they are operating requires a very high degree of technical competence. Yeah. That that particular domain uh, takes a long time to build up eyeballs or uh, you know subscribers. Yeah. But that frankly, believe me, that is true of every domain. Yeah. The degree may vary. So competence means knowing what to do efficiently. Yeah. And that is, of course, without that, you don't even get off the ground. Yeah. And you you make mistakes, you will learn, and we are not discussing that. But there are two other aspects which you have rightly touched upon, what I call the two H's, humanity and humility. Hmm. Humanity is about knowing what is the impact or the likely impact of my business on the customer. See, the first person who made a cigarette 100 years ago never knew about cancer. (laughs) So you can't expect that person to think about its deleterious effects. But if you look at the opioid crisis that happened, Hmm. here's a large company, it's not just a startup, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, who allowed opium to be peddled and uh, used with knowing full well all its social effects. Or you take the export of opium to China in the 18th and 19th century. People knew what opium does. It was just sheer greed for money. So you must have a sense of humanity if you know the effect. And I have a story which I must mention very 
briefly. Mm. When I was vice chairman of Tata Chemicals, we once had a project in Kenya, in mm. uh, Tanzania. Mm. It was a perfect project from our point of view. Mm. But we learned that in that project, if we go ahead and do it, you'll kill the nesting site. You'll mm. kill the nesting site of the little flamingo. We didn't even know what's a little flamingo. Mm. But after spending $10 million, we scrapped the project. Because we said, if you kill the little flamingo, and 30 years later, wow. the people who are living there, the tribes who are living there, uh, lose their living or their land gets arid. I don't want that responsibility. So we said, write off $10 million. And I was a part of the board where we discussed it. And that's what I mean by humanity. And talking about humility, you know, every uh, founder and CEO of a mature company thinks mm. he or she is about to change the world. They suffer from what I call the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> the Dunning-Kruger effect was a theory outlined by two researchers, Mr. Dunning mm. and Mr. Kruger, who said it is natural for every human being to think better of himself than the reality. Mm. Even if you are not a founder, you think so. Mm. So he says it's human nature to overestimate your capability. The founder, of course, highly overestimates you. <laughs> yeah. And so the sense of realism and is tend to get lost. Just yeah. like every budding film star in Bollywood <laughs> thinks that he or she is now going to be the next rock star, what Rajesh Khanna did 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Now it's good to have ambition, but it's also good to have humility. Ambition without humility is dangerous. Hmm. Humility Lovely. without ambition is useless. <laughs> ambition without humility is dangerous. Wow. I think that's such a great point. Such a great point. So I think uh, we are after all a small... You know, I in my office, I'm not taking the camera to show you that. I've got sure. a little artifact. Hmm. I was gifted this in... Uh, Morocco, where mm. I signed a joint venture with uh, a Moroccan company and Tata's. Mm. And you know what it contains? It contains the teeth, nails and bones of fish, which are between 20 to 40 million years old. Oh my God. Okay. Million years, huh? not thousand mm. years. Million. Wow. Wow. And I said, what's this supposed to represent? Yeah. As a vegetarian, I found it looking, you know, all these nails and <laughs> teeth sticking out at me. Then they explained to me that since the earth has existed for billions of years, the Mediterranean Sea sometimes evaporated and sometimes is overfull. So like a cassata cake, you know, there are sediments in the Moroccan mountains in the Mediterranean. And as and when the water up and down, went up and down, various species died. And these are the bones and nails of those species of fish and animals. Wow. And I keep it in my office because I said, hey, beta, you're doing what you want to. <laughs> you're a speck in the timelessness of time. <laughs> yes. And even when I have my moments of arrogance, it's easy to give a podcast and talk about it. Yeah. I look at that and say, Aukath pe aajau. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's, that's uh, yeah. So, Gopal said, tell me, You've written some 16 to 17 books. I was going through all the books that you have written. Like, did you, did you interact with Uday Kotak when you 
writing uh, building uh, kotak bank you've also written on kiran uh, mazundar show yeah yeah you see that was coming out of a research project that did with five academic people hmm and hmm. we were trying to find out what is it that makes an institution as compared to a good company hmm you see you have a startup it reaches adulthood at the age of yeah. 18 or whatever it is yeah. now become a full person it may or may not be a good person by the time that <laughs> that person is 30 you say ha is mm. a good person good company mm. yeah but to be an institution look at the taj mahal it's it's nothing but a kabristan <laughs> but it's a very special kabristan so you can say hindustan never is nothing but a soap company yes but it's a very special soap company it has lasted for 100 years tata's is nothing but a conglomerate of uh, confused slow moving guys yes but it has lasted for 140 years what does it take to last what is the ikigai what is the yoga what is the ayurveda you can teach startups that's what we tried to investigate and we interviewed all these people six books we wrote ramadhan yeah. for tcs kiran mazumdar for biocon yeah uday kotak deepak parekh because when i started my career 50 years ago none yeah. of these companies either existed or they were not around nobody knew of them hmm and uh, sure. today they are all marquee companies so yeah it, uh, so we did interact yes yeah couple of things gopal sir in terms of the lessons that you can tell our listeners like uday kotak building a kotak bank that was 1985 he started with a loan of 30 lakhs and then look at where the company stands now kotak bank is one of the finest banks so what did he do in these years to you scale know, it up We, we, our research result came out of interviews with these people, and yeah. I think we spent over seven hundred hours wow. um, talking to these people, hmm. documenting it, recording it, and so on. And what may be useful because this is of course a podcast for if anybody wants a detail of a particular person, there's a book on that person. Hmm. Uh, Uday Kotak, there's a book. Deepak Parikh, there's a book. Yeah. If I cut horizontally and say, what are the key lessons we learned? Yeah, you can apply them to all of them. You know, yes, building a great, a good company into a great institution, yeah, is like playing good golf. Mm. You know, you you carry a a bag of clubs with you. Yes, and I call it the three plus five matrix. Okay, which means mm. that there are three clubs which are absolutely essential. If without that you can't play golf, then there are five clubs which you use depending on the circumstances. So. a golfer does that all the time and a company architect i call him also does that all the time the three essential clubs without which you can't play a game of golf really are being people oriented being uh, displaying critical thinking and uh, simultaneously thinking of short and long term not sequentially but simultaneously in other words using your transactional circuit and your strategic circuit simultaneously hmm. uh, i think i've explained the long term and short term through the metaphor of the mother hmm who's the most yeah. brilliant example without any training yeah my daughters and daughters in law have done it hmm. as indeed my wife did it and my mother did it and my grandmother did it hmm and if women can learn to do this intuitively i don't see why mba managers cannot learn to do it Mm. it mm. is ridiculous to say i don't have time to think of the long term because i am dealing with the short term so that's as far as long term and short term you know critical yeah. thinking means 
uh, you should be able to think of a solution to the problem. I call it the physics approach. Hmm. We have this problem. There is four options, A, B, C, and D to solve it, which is the best of them. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a second way to look at it. And Ratan Tata was a great exemplar of this in my experience. Hmm. I'm saying, what is this a part of? A geologist will always look into this. Is under kya hai? An astronomer will say, kis ke bhag hai? What is this part of? <laughs> yeah. And they have a very different view. Imagine an astrologer and a geologist being given their implements and sent off to the moon. The report sent by the geologist will say, I have found water at 100 feet, zinc at 200 feet. The astronomer will see looking up to the sky and saying, you know, they are a small part of many, many galaxies and moons and so, uh, ha- critical thinking means having a geologist's point of view for which you are naturally trained, mm. but also putting on the astronomer hat. Mm. And if you look at how India solved the milk problem with Burgess Kurian in Amul, mm. you see how uh, India has addressed the family planning issue. Yeah. Uh, uh, you will see the geologist and the astronomer at work. Mm. Whereas yes. if you see some of the other things, how to renew the army, <laughs> you'll mm. find the pure pure geologist at work. Mm. There's, no, there's no astronomer there. So there mm. are different ways of doing it. Mm. And the people orientation speaks for itself. Can you lead people with affection? Mm. And affection is a very, very human word. And Jayadi Tata was a wonderful exemplar of affection. Mm. And... Uh, People orientation meaning always showing empathy and dealing with people with the affection that they deserve and the respect that they have a different point of view. So I use the three, uh, the, across we found Deepak Parekh and there are examples in the books. Example of how Deepak Parekh walked past somebody at 6, 7.30 in the evening saying, why are you so late in the office? And he said, I'm completing this. He said, but have you eaten anything? He said, mm. no, I'll go home and eat. And he walked across to the canteen, brought him a masala pav or something and said, you know, since you're doing work so hard, can I give you a masala pav to take you through the TV? That's, mm. that's affection. That's affection. Yeah. So there are examples yeah. in each of the books of that kind of thing. And so mm. people orientation, critical thinking and short and long term simultaneously. Mm. And then I won't go into all the other five unless you want mm. me to because your time mm. is short. Hmm. Uh, but they are also very important but you have to choose which one you want to use when hmm. just quickly going to uh, Mr. Harsh Mariwala uh, who built Marico and I had the good fortune to uh, meet him and have him on uh, my other podcast talking about entrepreneurship and mental health and of course he is a self made uh, person he comes from a business family he did not go to an MBA and got a degree and built it, you know, he just built it. So what is it that a couple of key takeaways, because we've written the book on him, uh, that you would like to share that helped him or that pushed him or motivated him to build and scale Marico? You know, whenever you see a success story, Kiran yeah. is another example, Kiran was in there. Yeah. It is not any single factor. This yeah. is a physics-orientated approach. What is the cause? And now I've seen the effect. So people work backwards from the effect. He's built a lovely company called Marico. Now work yeah. backwards and they say it was his humility. Uh, it works differently. Hmm. You know, like if you want to hear a good 
music performance. You must not only have a good violinist, you must have a good vocalist, a good double cheek, a good trumpeter, whatever, you know, harmonium. So yeah. you must, what in biology we call the emergence principle. Yes. Four or five things must come together. So when I'm in the Nilgiris, I went to the caterpillar farm and I saw how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And it's a fascinating, uh, it's like a human baby being born, except that I have not been witness to that uh, and understood the physiology of it. But, uh, you know, the hormones change, the eyes fall off, it becomes blind, and the hands fall off, and then they become wings. So the, they're very dramatic changes, what looks to us painful, but it does it naturally and becomes a butterfly. So hmm. in the same way, the Mariwalas and the Kiran Mazumdas and the Uday Kotas have had yeah. a number of factors which are very unique to themselves. Hmm. But I would include amongst these unique factors, but it is not each one doing a basal. Each one of those factors must come into a crescendo. And hmm. that's how you get the outcome. And it's easy to talk about, very difficult to replicate. Hmm. Just like each mother's childbirth is unique. Hmm. <laughs> you can't that's not a very affectionate or helpful way of speaking mm. to a mother in the making. Mm. If I come but, to uh, specifically, yeah. in, my, in my opinion, mm. I've not written this in the book necessarily, his humility that he is not a greatly read person. Mm. As he describes himself disparagingly, I am a mere peacock. He did not do MBA. Mm. That uh, complex, that can I do something bigger? And I'm a Kachi Bhatia. Uh, I don't know if you're also Kachi Bhatia, by the way. <laughs> but uh, if, you are, uh, if you are, then you'll recognize it immediately. They yeah. have a natural zen for uh, commerce and industry and business and trading. Yeah. Caused him to see things which his uncles or cousins did not see. Yeah. And it was a risky path. So there is a, even Uday Kotak, there's a sense of humility yeah. which comes through in the book as well. The second thing that comes through in both of them is the family atmosphere. Hmm. See, if you come from a large family, joint family, or even nuclear families have large number of children. I mean, I, I come from a family of six children with two parents, so that's eight people. Uh, nowadays, families are much smaller, but they were in joint families. So what joint family teaches you is how can you collaborate while yet competing? Mm, interesting. You got mm. cousins who are about your age. Mm. And you got uncles who are saying, usko jada mila marks, isko kam mila. Yeah. <laughs> all, all that drama is going on, you know. So yeah. You learn, to, <coughs> you learn to collaborate and yet compete. Mm. You learn the value of interdependence mm. while yet being independent. <laughs> mm. And I think those were the factors, some or two of the factors that I can readily think of, which caused uh, Harsh and Uday, and I would say Kiran also. She comes from a, not a, such a large family. Yeah. Uh, there were oh, only three it's... children, uh, mm. Kiran Mazudar, and uh, there were she and her two brothers and her parents. But having something lacking, mm. ready, tapping, ready wealth, you know, those who are ready well don't have to go through that. <coughs> Having an idea and pursuing it and seeing things differently. That's why I'm very fond of diversity and inclusion as yeah. sort of a mantra. Uh, yeah. 
diversity helps you to see things differently. Yeah. So I hope I've given you a sort of an answer. <laughs> yeah. Diversity. Uh, anything you would like to add when it comes to Deepak Parikh as DFC Bank? You know, Deepak uh, is approximately my contemporary age-wise and coming into the business world at about the same time. He's been a director of the board when I was present. Deepak is a remarkably people-oriented person. Hmm. There is not many people whom Deepak doesn't know. And if Deepak hmm. doesn't know him, he's not worth knowing. You know, sort of. To exaggerate <laughs> slightly. Hmm. <laughs> the second thing is he's very helpful. Hmm. He's what I call a maven. Mm. You know, you know what's a maven? A maven is a person who builds contacts without any particular reason. Wow. That's a maven. Mm. They build contacts without I like to know Sukita, I like to know Sumita, I like to know Anita, you know? Yeah. And later on, if somebody says, Mujhe kuch podcast karna hai, koi banda hai, se tha. Why don't you try to meet her? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that quality in Deepak is very transparent. He has held it for 50 years, 55 years. Mm. And all of them came from this background of some family person being their mentor. Mm. Deepak, in Deepak's case, it was his uncle, H.P. Parikh. Uh, mm. I mean, each of them will have their own list, but what I could uh, gather from my uh, research and writing of those books. Mm. Uh, Harsh went on his own. He started yeah. with his uncles, but then he went off on his own. Yeah. And uh, it was risky. He took the risk. Mm. But he was very sensible. You know, He said, for example, look at the difference between Harsh and Kiran. Harsh said, <coughs> I want to be a big fish in a small pond. Mm, interesting. So he said, I better not enter the shampoo area because Hindustan Lever and Procter and Gamble will kill me. They'll have me for breakfast and chew me out. You know. <laughs> so he went into Medicare, which is mm. lice in the hair, you know, medical shampoo. Mm. He, bought, he bought the brand Medicare from uh, Procter and Gamble or Richardson Vicks as it was called then. Hmm. who were not interested because it was not big bucks, you know. Big hmm. companies look for big bucks. Hmm. Like if you're a wrestler or a pehelwan, you look for big chunks of food, not small little chunks of food. He yeah. said, I'm happy to go where the biggies don't come. Interesting. And today he owns 50, 60, 70% market share of a small market, but he's able to get his pricing power. Hmm. Nice. Kiran Mazumdar, on the other hand, wanted to be a small fish in a big pond. Hmm. Both have succeeded. Yeah. And she started by taking what is called uh, 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 solid state fermentation products. Yeah. Which have certain characteristics. I won't go into that. But the market is small. Hmm. And uh, then she said, but Bazume, there's a much bigger pond. And that requires a different set of skills. It is hmm. called wet fermentation. Hmm. And she sold this business for a very fancy price to somebody who wanted to be in solid state fermentation, redeployed their money, and she's now, well, she's not exactly a small fish, but the pond is really big. So even if she's big, it's lost in the big pond. So here's an example of two people who started about the same time, did about mm. the right things, have mm. similar backgrounds, 
Yeah. Right. One is a Gujarati speaking Gujarati. One is a Kannada speaking Gujarati. You know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it just shows the emergence principle that she just took, they both took their respective tides. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there are what India needs is a lot of such companies. I call mm-hmm. them institutions. Mm-hmm. Do you know that if you look at the global stock markets, yeah, the top ten companies <coughs> account for 13, 14, 15 percent of the market value. In hmm. India, the top 10 companies account for 50%. Wow. My God. So in India, we have a few big giants and a lot of pygmies. Hmm. And the pygmies are, you know, trodden upon and vanished and nobody hears of them. Yeah. yeah. We need a lot more giants. Hmm. And these pygmies will be genetically re-engineered to become the giants. After all, Hindustan even was a startup. Tata was a startup 100 years ago. Hmm. So, uh, I'm hoping that the research that we did will be helpful to people in thinking about how to create an institution which lasts rather than just a good company or good valuation to take founders. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, amazing. Creating an institute that lasts for years. Wow, for me, some of the great takeaways has been, of course, how to build transparency in an ecosystem, competing with humanity and humility, building a company or building an institution, and some of the great life lessons from Uday Kotak, from Hush Mariwala, from Kiran Mazumdar Shaw, Deepak Parikh, and Mr. Krishnan himself. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Have a great weekend and, and do not forget to follow us on our Twitter and Instagram handles Metaphysical Lab for regular updates on the Artist Podcast.